The Doctrine of Fascism by Benito Mussolini From the Encyclopedia Italiana, Volume 14 The English translation is by Mr. I. S. Monroe This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Fundamental Ideas 1. Philosophic Conception Like every concrete political conception, fascism is thought and action. It is action with an inherent doctrine which, arising out of a given system of historic forces, is inserted in it and works on it from within. It has, therefore, a form correlated to the contingencies of time and place, but it has at the same time an ideal content which elevates it into a formula of truth in the higher region of the history of thought. There is no way of exercising a spiritual influence on the things of the world by means of a human willpower commanding the wills of others, without first having a clear conception of the particular and transient reality on which the willpower must act and without also having a clear conception of the universal and permanent reality in which the particular and transient reality has had its life and being. To know men, we must have a knowledge of man, and to have a knowledge of man, we must know the reality of things and their laws. There can be no conception of a state which is not fundamentally a conception of life. It is a philosophy or intuition, a system of ideas which evolves itself into a system of logical contraction or which concentrates itself in a vision, or in a faith, but which is always, at least virtually, an organic conception of the world. 2. Spiritualized Conception Fascism would therefore not be understood in many of its manifestations, as, for example, in its organizations of the party, its system of education, its discipline, were it not considered in the light of its general view of life, a spiritualized view. To fascism, the world is not this material world which appears on the surface, in which man is an individual separated from all other men, standing by himself, and subject to a natural law which instinctively impels him to lead a life of momentary and egotistic pleasure. In fascism, man is an individual who is the nation and the country. He is this by a moral law, which embraces and binds together individuals and generations in an established tradition and mission a moral law which suppresses the instinct to lead a life confined to a brief cycle of pleasure in order instead to replace it within the orbit of duty and a superior conception of life, free from the limits of time and space, a life in which the individual by self-abnegation and by the sacrifice of his particular interest, even by death, realizes the entire spiritual existence in which his value as a man consists. 3. Positive conception of life as a struggle. It is therefore a spiritual conception, itself also a result of the general reaction of the century against the languid and materialistic positivism of the 18th century. Anti-positivist but positive, neither skeptical nor agnostic, neither pessimistic nor passively optimistic, as are in general the doctrines, all of them negative, which place the center of life outside of man, who by his free will can and should create his own world for himself. Fascism wants a man to be active and to be absorbed in action with all his energies. It wants him to have a manly consciousness of the difficulties that exist and to be ready to face them. It conceives life as a struggle, thinking that it is the duty of man to conquer that life which is really worthy of him, creating in the first place within himself 
the physical, moral, intellectual instrument with which to build it. As for the individual, so for the nation, so for mankind. Hence the high value of culture in all its forms, art, religion, science, and the supreme importance of education. Hence also the essential value of labor, with which man conquers nature and creates the human world, economic, political, moral, intellectual. 4. Ethical Conception This positive conception of life is evidently an ethical conception, and it compromises the whole reality as well as the human activity which domineers it. No action is to be removed from the moral sense. Nothing is to be in the world that is divested of the importance which belongs to it in respect of moral aims. Life, therefore, as the fascist conceives it, is serious, austere, religious, entirely balanced in a world sustained by the moral and responsible forces of the spirit. The fascist disdains the easy life. 5. Religious Conception Fascism is a religious conception in which man is considered to be in the powerful grip of superior law, with an objective will which transcends a particular individual and elevates him into a fully conscious member of a spiritual society. Anyone who has stopped short at the mere consideration of opportunism in the religious policy of the fascist regime has failed to understand that fascism, besides being a system of government, is also a system of thought. 6. Historical and Realist Conception Fascism is a historical conception in which man could not be what he is without being a factor in the spiritual process to which he contributes, either in the family sphere or in the social sphere, in the nation or in history in general to which all nations contribute. Hence is derived the great importance of tradition in the records, language, customs, and rules of human society. Man without a part in history is nothing. For this reason, Fascism is opposed to all the abstractions of an individualistic character based upon materialism typical of the 18th century, and it is opposed to all the Jacobin innovations and utopias. It does not believe in the possibility of happiness on earth as conceived by the literature of the economist of the 17th century. It therefore spurns all the teleological conceptions of final causes through which, at a given period of history, a final systemization of the human race would take place. Such theories only mean placing oneself outside real history and life, which is a continual ebb and flow and process of realizations. Politically speaking, fascism aims at being a realistic doctrine. In its practice, it aspired to solve only the problems which present themselves of their own accord in the process of history, and which of themselves find or suggest their own solution. To have the effect of action among men, it is necessary to enter into the process of reality and to master the forces actually at work. 7. The Individual and Liberty Anti-individualistic, the fascist conception is for the state. It is for the individual only insofar as he coincides with the state, universal consciousness, and will of man in his historic existence. It is opposed to the classic liberalism which arose out of the need of reaction against absolutism and had accomplished its mission in history when the state itself had become transformed into popular will and consciousness. Liberalism denied the state in the interest of the particular individual. Fascism reaffirms the state as the only true expression of the individual. And if liberty is to be the attribute of the real man, and not of the scarecrow invented by the individualistic liberalism, then fascism is for liberty. It is for the only kind of liberty that is serious 
the liberty of the state and of the individual in the state. Because, for the fascist, all is comprised in the state, and nothing spiritual or human exists, much less has any value, outside the state. In this respect, fascism is a totalizing concept, and the fascist state, the unification and synthesis of every value, interprets, develops, and potentates the whole life of the people. 8. Conception of a Corporate State No individuals or groups, political parties, associations, labor unions, classes, outside the state. For this reason, fascism is opposed to socialism, which clings rigidly to class war and the historic evolution and ignores the unity of the state, which molds the classes into a single moral and economic reality. In the same way, fascism is opposed to the unions of the laboring classes. But within the orbit of the state, with ordinative functions, the real needs, which give rise to the socialist movement and to the forming of labor unions, are emphatically recognized by fascism, and are given their full expression in the corporative system, which conciliates every interest in the unity of the state. 9. Democracy Individuals form classes according to categories of interest. They are associated according to differentiated economic activities which have a common interest. But first and foremost, they form the state. The state is not merely either the numbers or the sum of individuals forming the majority of a people. Fascism, for this reason, is opposed to the democracy which identifies people with the greatest number of individuals and reduces them to a majority level. But if people are conceived, as they should be, qualitatively and not quantitatively, then fascism is democracy in its purest form. The qualitative conception is the most coherent and truest form, and is therefore the most moral, because it sees a people realized in the consciousness and will of the few, or even of the one only, an ideal which moves to its realization in the consciousness and will of all. By all is meant all who derive their justification as a nation, ethnically speaking, from their nature and history, and who follow the same line of spiritual formation and development as one single will in consciousness. Not as a race, nor as a geographically determined region, but as a progeny that is rather the outcome of history which perpetuates itself, a multitude unified by an idea embodied in the will to have power and to exist, conscious of itself and of its personality. 10. Conception of the State this higher personality is truly the nation, insomuch as it is the state. The nation does not beget the state, according to the decrepit nationalistic concept, which was used as a basis for the publicists of the national states in the 19th century. On the contrary, the nation is created by the state, which gives the people, conscious of their own moral unity, the will, and thereby an effective existence. The right of a nation to its independence is derived not from a literary and ideal consciousness of its own existence, much less from a de facto situation, more or less inert and unconscious, but from an active consciousness, from an active political will, disposed to demonstrate its right. That is to say, a kind of state already in its pride, in fire. The state, in fact, as a universal ethical will, is the creator of right. 11. Dynamic Reality The nation, as a state, is an ethical reality which exists and lives in measure as it develops. A standstill is its death. 
Therefore, the state is not only the authority which governs and which gives the forms of law, and the worth of the spiritual life to the individual wills, but it is also the power which gives effect to its will in foreign matters, causing it to be recognized and respected by demonstrating through facts the universality of all the manifestations necessary for its development. Hence it is organization as well as expansion, and it may be thereby considered, at least virtually, equal to the very nature of the human will, which in its evolution recognizes no barriers, and which realizes itself by proving its infinity. 12. The Role of the State The fascist state, the highest and most powerful form of personality, is a force, but a spiritual one. It reassumes all the forms of the moral and intellectual life of man. It cannot, therefore, be limited to a simple function of order and of safeguarding, as was contented by liberalism. It is not a simple mechanism which limits the sphere of the presumed individual liberties. It is an internal form and rule, a discipline of the entire person. It penetrates the will as well as the intelligence. Its principle, a central inspiration of the living human personality in the civil community, descends into the depths and settles in the heart of the man of action as well as the thinker, of the artist as well as of the scientist, the soul of our soul. 13. Discipline and Authority Fascism, in short, is not only a lawgiver and the founder of institutions, but an educator and promoter of the spiritual life. It aims to rebuild not the forms of human life, but its content, the man, the character, the faith. And for this end, it exacts discipline and an authority which descends into and dominates the interior of the spirit without opposition. Its emblem, therefore, is the Lictorian Fasces, symbol of unity, of force, and of justice. Politics and Social Doctrine 1. Origins of the Doctrine When, in the now distant March of 1919, I summoned a meeting at Milan, through the columns of the Popolo d'Italia, of those who had supported and endured the war, and who had followed me since the constitution of the Fasci, or revolutionary action in January 1915, there was no specific doctrinal plan in my mind. I had the experience of one only doctrine, that of socialism from 1903 to 04 to the winter of 1914, about a decade. But I made it first in the ranks and later as a leader, and it was never an experience in theory. My doctrine, even during that period, was a doctrine of action. A universally accepted doctrine of socialism had not existed since 1915 when the revolutionist movement started in Germany under the leadership of Bernstein. Against this, in the swing of tendencies, a left revolutionary movement began to take shape. But in Italy, it never went further than in the field of phrases. Whereas in Russian socialistic circles, it became the prelude of Bolshevism, reformism, revolutionaryism, centrism. This is a terminology of which even the echoes are now spent. But in the great river of fascism are currents which flow from Sori, from Pagai, from Lagardelle, and the movement socialisti, from Italian syndicates which were legion between 1904 and 1914, and sounded a new note in Italian socialist circles, weakened then by the betrayal of Giolitti, through Olivetti's Pagini Libere, Orano's La Lupa, and Enrico Leone's Diverne Social. After the war, in 1919, socialism was already dead as a doctrine. It existed only as a grudge. 
in Italy especially, it had one only possibility of action, reprisals against those who wanted the war and must now pay its penalty. The Popolo d'Italia carried a subtitle, Daily of Ex-Servicemen and Producers, and the word producers was already then an expression of a turn of mind. Fascism was not the nursing of a doctrine previously worked out at a desk. It was born of the need for action, and it was action. It was not a party. In fact, during the first two years, it was an anti-party and a movement. The name I gave the organization fixed its character. Yet whoever should read the now-crumpled sheets with the minutes of the meeting at which the Italian Fasce di Combattimento were constituted would fail to discover a doctrine, but would find a series of ideas, of anticipations, of hints which, liberated from the inevitable strangleholds of contingencies, were destined after some years to develop into doctrinal conceptions. Through them, fascism became a political doctrine to itself, different by comparison to all others, whether contemporary or of the past. I said then, if the bourgeoisie think we are ready to act as lightning conductors, they are mistaken. We must go towards labor. We wish to train the working classes to directive functions. We wish to convince them that it is not easy to manage industry or trade. We shall fight the technique and the spirit of the rearguard. When the succession of the regime is open, we must not lack the fighting spirit. We must rush, and if the present regime be overcome, it is we who must fill its place. The claim to succession belongs to us, because it was we who forced the country into war, and we who led her to victory. The present political representation cannot suffice. We must have a direct representation of all interest. Against this program, one might say it is a return to corporations, but that does not matter. Therefore, I should like this assembly to accept the claims put in by national syndicalism from an economic standpoint. Is it not strange that the word corporation should have been uttered at the first meeting of Piazza San Sepulcro, when one considers that, in the course of the revolution, it came to express one of the social and legislative creations at the very foundations of the regime? 2. Development the years which preceded the march on Rome were years in which the necessity of action did not permit complete doctrinal investigations or elaborations. The battle was raging in the towns and villages. There were discussions, but what was more important and sacred, there was death. Men knew how to die. The doctrine, all complete and formed, with divisions into chapters, paragraphs, and accompanying elucubrations, might be missing. But there was something more decided to replace it there was faith. Notwithstanding, whoever remembers with the aid of books and speeches, whoever could search through them and select, would find that the fundamental principles were laid down whilst the battle raged. It was really in those years that the fascist idea armed itself, became refined, and proceeded towards organization. The problems of the individual and of the state, the problems of authority and of liberty, the political and social problems, especially national, the fight against the liberal, democratic, socialist, and popular doctrines was carried out together with the punitive expeditions. But, as a system was lacking, our adversaries in bad faith denied to fascism any capacity to produce a doctrine, though that doctrine was growing tumultuously, at first under the aspect of violent and dogmatic negation, as happens to all newly born ideas, and later under the positive aspect of construction, which was successfully realized in the years 1926, 28, and 29, 
through laws and institutions of the regime. Fascism today stands clearly defined, not only as a regime, but also as a doctrine. This word doctrine should be interpreted in the sense that fascism today, when passing criticism on itself and others, has its own point of view, and its own point of reference, and therefore also its own orientation when facing those problems which beset the world in the spirit and in the matter. 3. Against Passivism, War and Life as a Duty As far as the general future and development of humanity is concerned, and apart from any mere consideration of current politics, fascism above all does not believe either in the possibility or utility of universal peace. It therefore rejects the pacifism which masks surrender and cowardice. War alone brings all human energies to their highest tension and sets a seal of nobility on the peoples who have the virtue to face it. All other tests are but substitutes which never make a man face himself in the alternative of life or death. A doctrine which has its starting point at the prejudicial postulate of peace is therefore extraneous to fascism. In the same way, all international creations, which as history demonstrates can be blown to the winds when sentimental, ideal, and practical elements storm the heart of a people, are also extraneous to the spirit of fascism, even if such international creations are accepted for whatever utility they may have in any determined political situation. Fascism also transports this anti-pacifist spirit into the life of individuals. The proud squadrista motto, me de fragro, I don't give a damn, scrawled on the bandages of the wounded is an act of philosophy, not only stoic. It is a summary of a doctrine not only political, it is an education in strife and an acceptance of the risks which it carried. It is a new style of Italian life. It is thus that the fascist loves and accepts life, ignores and disdains suicide, understands life as a duty, a lifting up, a conquest, something to be filled in and sustained on a high plane, a thing that has to be lived through for its own sake, but above all for the sake of others near and far, present and future. 4. The Demographic Policy and the Neighbor The demographic policy of the regime is the result of these premises. The fascist also loves his neighbor, but neighbor is not for him a vague and undefinable word. Love for his neighbor does not prevent necessary educational severities. Fascism rejects professions of universal affection, and though living in the community of civilized peoples, it watches them and looks at them differently. It follows them in their state of mind and in the transformation of their interest, but it does not allow itself to be deceived by fallacious and mutable appearances. 5. Against Historical Materialism and Class Struggle Through this conception of life, fascism becomes the emphatic negation of that doctrine which constituted the basis of the so-called scientific socialism or Marxism. The doctrine of historical materialism according to which the story of human civilization is to be explained only by the conflict of interest between the various social groups and by the change of the means and instruments of production. That the economic vicissitudes, discovery of prime or raw materials, new methods of labor, scientific inventions, have their particular importance, is denied by none. But that they suffice to explain human history, excluding other factors from it, is absurd. Fascism still believes in sanctity and in heroism, that is to say, in acts in which no economic motive, immediate or remote, operates. Fascism, having denied historical materialism, 
by which men are only puppets in history, appearing and disappearing on the surface of the tides, while in the depths the real directive forces act and labor, it also denies the immutable and irreparable class warfare, which is the natural filiation of such an economistic conception of history. And it denies, above all, that class warfare is the preponderating agent of social transformation. Being defeated on these two capital points of its doctrine, nothing remains of socialism save the sentimental aspirations, as old as humanity, to achieve a community of social life in which the sufferings and hardships of the humblest classes are alleviated. But here fascism repudiates the concept of an economic happiness which is to be, at a given moment in the evolution of economy, socialistically and almost automatically realized by assuring to all the maximum of well-being. Fascism denies the possibilities of the materialistic concept of happiness. It leaves that to the economist of the first half of the 17th century. That is, it denies the equation, well-being, happiness, which reduces man to the state of the animals, mindful of only one thing, that of being fed and fattened, reduced, in fact, to a pure and simple vegetative existence. 6. Against Democratic Ideologies After disposing of socialism, fascism opens a breach on the whole complex of the democratic ideologies, and repudiates them in their theoretic premises as well as in their practical application or instrumentation. Fascism denies that numbers, by mere fact of being numbers, can direct human society. It denies that these numbers can govern by means of periodical consultations. It affirms also the fertilizing, beneficent, and unassailable inequality of men, who cannot be leveled through an extrinsic and mechanical process such as universal suffrage. Regimes can be called democratic which, from time to time, give the people the illusion of being sovereign, whereas the real and effective sovereignty exists in other, and often very secret and irresponsible forces. Democracy is a regime without a king, but very often with many kings, far more exclusive, tyrannical, and ruinous than a single king, even if he be a tyrant. This explains why fascism, which, for contingent reasons, had assumed a republican tendency before 1922, renounced it previous to the march on Rome, with the conviction that the political constitution of a state is not nowadays a supreme question, and that, if the examples of the past and present monarchies and past and present republics are studied, the result is that neither monarchies nor republics are to be judged under the assumption of eternity, but that they merely represent forms in which the extrinsic political evolution takes shape, as well as the history, the tradition, and the psychology of a given country. Consequently, fascism glides over the antithesis between monarchy and republic, on which democraticism wasted time, blaming the former for all social shortcomings, and extolling the latter as a regime of perfection. We have now seen that there are republics which may be profoundly absolutist and reactionary, and monarchies which welcome the most venturesome social and political experiments. 7. Untruths of Democracy Reason and science, says Renan, who had certain pre-fascist enlightenments in one of his philosophical meditations, are products of mankind, but to seek reason directly for the people and through the people is a chimera. It is not necessary for the existence of reason that everybody should know it. In any case, if this initiation were to be brought about, it could not be through low-class democracy, which seems to lead rather to the extinction of every other culture and of every great discipline. The principle that society exists only for the welfare and liberty of individuals composing it does not seem to conform with the plans of nature. 
plans in which the species only is taken into consideration and the individual appears sacrificed. It is strongly to be feared that the last word of democracy thus understood, I hasten to add that it can also be differently understood, would be a social state in which a degenerated mass would have no preoccupation other than that of enjoying the ignoble pleasures of the vulgar person. Thus Renan. In democracy, fascism rejects the absurd conventional falsehood of political equity, the habit of collective responsibility, and the myth of indefinite progress and happiness. But if there be a different understanding of democracy, if, in other words, democracy can also signify to not push the people back as far as the margins of the state, then fascism may well have been defined by the present writer as an organized, centralized, authoritarian democracy. 8. Against Liberal Doctrines As regards the liberal doctrines, the attitude of fascism is one of absolute opposition both in the political and in the economic field. There is no need to exaggerate the importance of liberalism in the last century simply for the sake of present-day polemics, and to transform one of the numerous doctrines unfolded in that last century into a religion of humanity for all times, present and future. Liberalism did not flourish for more than a period of 15 years. It was born in 1830 from the reaction to the Holy Alliance which attempted to set Europe back to the period which preceded 89 and had its years of splendor in 1848, when also Pius IX was a liberal. Its decadence began immediately afterwards. If 1848 was a year of light and poesy, 1849 was a year of weakness and tragedy. The Roman Republic was killed by another republic, the French Republic. In the same year, Marx issued his famous Manifesto of Communism. In 1851, Napoleon III made his anti-liberal coup d'etat and reigned over France until 1870. He was overthrown by a popular movement, following one of the greatest defeats registered in history. The victor was Bismarck, who always ignored the religion of liberty and its prophets. It is symptomatic that a people of high civilization like the Germans completely ignored the religion of liberty throughout the whole 19th century, with but one parenthesis, represented by that which was called the ridiculous parliament of Frankfurt, which lasted one season. Germany realized its national unity outside of liberalism, against liberalism, a doctrine which seemed alien to the German spirit, essentially monarchical, since liberalism is a historical and logical antechamber of anarchy. The three wars of 1864, 1866, and 1870, conducted by liberals like Mulkey and Bismarck, marked the three stages of German unity. As for Italian unity, liberalism played a very inferior part in the makeup of Mazzini and Garibaldi, who were not liberals. Without the intervention of the anti-liberal Napoleon, we would not have had Lombardy, and without help of the anti-liberal Bismarck, at Sadoa and Sedan, it is very likely that we would not have got Venice in 1866, or that we would have entered Rome in 1870. During the period of 1870 to 1915, the preachers of the new creed of themselves denounced the twilight of their religion. It was beaten in the breach by decadence in literature. It was beaten in the open by decadence in practice. Activism, that is to say nationalism, futurism, fascism. The liberal century, after having accumulated an infinity of Gordian knots, sought to cut them in the hecatomb of the World War. Never did any religion impose such a terrible sacrifice. Have the gods of liberalism slaked their bloodthirst? 
Liberalism is now on the point of closing the doors of its departed temples, because nations feel that its agnosticism in the economic field, and its indifference in political and moral matters, causes, as it has already caused, the sure ruin of states. That is why all the political experiences of the contemporary world are anti-liberal, and it is supremely silly to seek to classify them as things outside of history, as if history were a hunting ground reserved to liberalism and its professors, as if liberalism were the last and incomparable word of civilization. 9. Fascism does not turn back. The fascist negation of socialism, of democracy, of liberalism, should not lead one to believe that fascism wishes to push the world back to where it was before 1879, the date accepted as the opening year of the demo-liberal century. One cannot turn back. The fascist doctrine has not chosen de Maistri for its profit. Monarchical absolutism is a thing of the past, and so is the worship of the church power. Feudal privileges and divisions into impenetrable castes with no connection between them are also have-beens. The conception of fascist authority has nothing in common with the police. A party that totally rules a nation is a new chapter in history. References and comparisons are not possible. From the ruins of the socialist, liberal, and democratic doctrines, fascism picks those elements that still have a living value, keeps those that might be termed facts acquired by history, and rejects the rest. Namely, the conception of a doctrine good for all times and all people. Admitting that the 19th century was a century of socialism, liberalism, and democracy is not said that the 20th century must also be the century of socialism, of liberalism, of democracy. Political doctrines pass on, but peoples remain. One may now think that this will be the century of authority, the century of the right wing, the century of fascism. If the 19th century was a century of the individual, liberalism signifies individualism, one may think that this will be the century of collectivism, the century of the state. It is perfectly logical that a new doctrine should utilize the vital elements of other doctrines. No doctrine was ever born entirely new and shining, never seen before. No doctrine can boast of absolute originality. Each doctrine is bound historically to doctrines which went before, to doctrines yet to come. Thus, the scientific socialism of Marx is bound to the utopian socialism of Fourier, of Owen, of Saint-Simon. Thus, the liberalism of 1800 is linked with the movement of 1700. Thus, democratic doctrines are bound to the encyclopedist. Each doctrine tends to direct human activity towards a definite object. But the activity of man reacts upon the doctrine, transforms it, and adapts it to new requirements, or overcomes it. Doctrine, therefore, should be an act of life and not an academy of words. In this lie the pragmatic veins of fascism, its will to power, its will to be, its position with regards to violence, and its value. 10. The Value and Mission of the State The capital point of the fascist doctrine is the conception of the state, its essence, the work to be accomplished, its final aims. In the conception of fascism, the state is an absolute before which individual and groups are relative. Individuals and groups are conceivable in so much as they are in the state. The liberal state does not direct the movements and the material and spiritual evolution of collectivity, but limits itself to recording the results. The fascist state 
has its conscious conviction, a will of its own, and for this reason is called an ethical state. In 1929, at the first quinquennial assembly of the regime, I said, In fascism, the state is not a night watchman, only occupied with the personal safety of the citizens, nor is it an organization with purely material aims, such as that of assuring a certain well-being and a comparatively easy social cohabitation. A board of directors would be quite sufficient to deal with this. It is not a purely political creation either, detached from the complex material realities of the life of individuals and of peoples. The state, as conceived and enacted by fascism, is a spiritual and moral fact since it gives concrete form to the political, juridical, and economic organization of the country. Furthermore, this organization as it rises and develops is a manifestation of the spirit. The state is a safeguard of interior and exterior safety, but it is also the keeper and transmitter of the spirit of the people, as it was elaborated through the ages, in its language, customs, and beliefs. The state is not only the present, it is also the past, and above all, the future. The state, insomuch as it transcends the short limits of individual lives, represents the eminent conscience of the nation. The forms in which the state expresses itself are subject to changes, but the necessity for the state remains. It is the state which educates the citizens in civic virtues, gives them a consciousness of their mission, presses them towards unity. The state harmonizes their interests through justice, transmit to prosperity the attainments of thoughts, in science, in arts, in laws, in the solidarity of mankind. The state leads men from primitive tribal life to that highest expression of human power which is empire, links up through the centuries the names of those who die to preserve its integrity or to obey its laws, holds up the memory of the leaders who increased its territory and of the geniuses who cast the light of glory upon it, as an example for future generations to follow. When the conception of the state declines and disintegrating or centrifugal tendencies prevail, whether of individuals or groups, then the national society is about to set. 11. The Unity of the State and the Contradictions of Capitalism From 1929 onwards to the present day, the universal political and economical evolution has still further strengthened the doctrinal positions. The giant who rules is the state. The one who can resolve the dramatic contradictions of capital is the state. What is called the crisis cannot be resolved except by the state and in the state. Where are the ghosts of Julius Simon who, at the dawn of liberalism, proclaimed that the state must set to work to make itself useless and prepare its resignation? Of McCullough, who, in the second half of the past century, proclaimed that the state must abstain from ruling? What would the Englishman Bentham say today to the continual and inevitably invoked intervention of the state in the sphere of economics? while, according to his theories, industry should ask no more of the state than to be left in peace. Or the German Humboldt, according to whom an idle state was the best kind of state. It is true that the second wave of liberal economists were less extreme than the first, and Adam Smith himself opened the door, if only very cautiously, to let state intervention into the economic field. If liberalism signifies the individual, then fascism signifies the state. But the fascist state is unique of its kind and is an original creation. It is not reactionary, but revolutionary, insomuch as it anticipates the solution of certain universal problems such as those which are treated elsewhere.
one in the political sphere by the subdivision of parties in the preponderance of parliamentarism and in the irresponsibilities of assemblies two in the economic sphere by the functions of trade unions which are becoming constantly more numerous and powerful whether in the labor or industrial fields in their conflicts and combinations and three in the moral sphere by the necessity of order discipline obedience to those who are the moral dictators of the country fascism wants the state to be strong organic and at the same time supported on a wide popular basis as part of its task the fascist state has penetrated the economic field through the corporative social and educational institutions which it has created the presence of the state is felt in the remotest ramifications of the country and in the state also all the political economic and spiritual forces of the nation circulate mustered in their respective organizations a state which stands on the support of millions of individuals who recognize it who believe in it who are ready to serve it is not the tyrannical state of the medieval lord it has nothing in common with the absolutist states before or after 89 the individual in the fascist state is not annulled but rather multiplied just as in a regiment a soldier is not diminished but multiplied by the number of his comrades the fascist state organizes the nation but leaves a sufficient margin afterward to the individual it has limited the useless or harmful liberties and has preserved the essential ones the one to judge in this respect is not the individual but the state twelve the fascist state and religion the fascist state is not indifferent to the presence or the fact of religion in general nor to the presence of that particular established religion which is italian catholicism the state has no theology but it has morality in the fascist state religion is considered as one of the most profound manifestations of the spirit it is therefore not only respected but defended and protected the fascist state does not create its own god as Robespierre wanted to do in a certain movement in the frenzies of the convention nor does it vainly endeavor to cancel the idea of god from the mind as bolshevism tries to do fascism respects the god of the ascetics of the saints and of the heroes it also respects god as he is conceived and prayed to in the ingenious and primitive heart of the people 13 empire and discipline the fascist state is a will expressing power and empire the roman tradition here becomes an idea of force in the fascist doctrine empire is not only a territorial or a military or a commercial expression it is a moral and a spiritual one an empire can be thought of for instance as a nation which directly or indirectly guides other nations without the need of conquering a single mile of territory for fascism the tendency to empire that is to say the expansion of nations is a manifestation of vitality its contrary the stay-at-home attitude is a sign of decadence peoples who rise or suddenly flourish again are imperialistic peoples who die are peoples who abdicate fascism is a doctrine which most adequately represents the tendencies the state of mind of a people like the italian people which is rising again after many centuries of abandonment and of foreign servitude but empire requires discipline the coordination of forces duty and sacrifice this explains many phases of the practical action of the regime it explains the aims of many of the forces of the state 
and the necessary severity against those who would oppose themselves to this spontaneous and irresistible movement of the Italy of the 20th century, by trying to appeal to the discredited ideologies of the 19th century, which have been repudiated wherever great experiments of political and social transformation have been daringly undertaken. Never more than at the present moment have nations felt such a thirst for an authority, for a direction, for order. If every century has its own peculiar doctrine, there are a thousand indications that fascism is that of the present century. That it is a doctrine of life is shown by the fact that it has created a faith. That the faith has taken possession of the mind is demonstrated by the fact that fascism has its fallen and its martyrs. Fascism has now attained in the world a universality over all doctrines. Being realized, it represents an epoch in the history of the human mind. End of The Doctrine of Fascism by Benito Mussolini Recording by James Christopher, jxchristopher at yahoo.com